Hi, I am Joseph. And I am Eleni. And, and we, we are, are the hosts of Microbes in Us. This podcast brings together the people that work tirelessly to uncover and understand the microbial world, its secrets, its complexity, and its vibrancy. And it will show us how microbes can shape, break, and make our human world. From prehistoric times, all the way to the modern world around us. We hope you enjoy and share this podcast. Welcome to the first episode of the year for the Microbes in Us podcast. So happy new year if you're listening. Today I have a guest with us who's worked with FEMS in some capacity for a very long time, she's very talented, Sarah Vetstat, who is, well, there's a lot of strings to your bow, so I'll just list them all. You're the director of your own science writing communications business, Microcoms, the creator of Bacterial World, which is a website, is that right? About microbes and bacteria. You are actually the commissioner for the our FEMS microbe blog. So Sarah sort of runs uh, as a freelancer for us, the kind of contact and organization of these different blog pieces with authors. You're also a co-founder of an initiative called STEM Cognito, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a bit. And actually, I think my first interaction with you was you're one of the journal social media editors a few years back for our journal, FEMS Microbiology Letters. So you've had lots of experience, I guess, with different aspects of science communications. Um, and it used to be a postdoc and you know a regular scientific researcher, and you took the decision a brave decision to decide to move into the world of freelance science communication business, essentially. So welcome to the podcast. Glad to have you as our first guest of 2022. Thank you, Joe. Thanks for the invitation. Really glad to be here. Yeah, it's good to have you. Would you like to tell us a little bit about why you decided to leave research? Yes, of course. So why I decided to leave research also kind of implies the question, why did I start research in the first place? Because obviously I was always intrigued by biology. I was always intrigued by bacteria, microbes, how they all interact with each other, how they interact with us, how they interact with nature, with environment, like basically the whole systems, how they all work together. So I, yeah, I did a PhD in microbiology and then also a postdoc. And don't get me wrong, I loved research. It was super cool to always be on the brink of normal knowledge and find something new and did all these little, or come up with all these hypotheses and come up with experiments, how to prove your ideas and concept. It was just that at some point after I finished my PhD, you know, I wrote this whole PhD thesis, 400 pages. I spent so much time on this and afterwards it's like there's basically three people on this planet that read the whole thing from back to forth and i spent so much time on it i was just like just can't be it there must be more to this all the science all this knowledge that i accumulated over there must or need to get out somehow into the world somehow exactly other people need to know about this and my friends were always like man sarah whenever you talk about your research topic or your little bacteria you sound so passionate and you're so excited and you can actually explain that really really well so i was just like okay that sounds good i actually have fun explaining all these things so this is when i started the blog bacterial world just to see how I actually like, you know, working for myself, having this kind of side project and yeah, just bring science and scientific knowledge out to the world. And then doing the postdoc, I did more and more of these kind of side projects. I wrote for scientific journals or I wrote like um, highlight stories. So I took other people's research and I wrote like a, a summary of these publications. 
And I just love that. It was super fun. And then, yeah, when the pandemic hit and, you know, research lost more and more funding, it was difficult to find a new job. And, you know, that was for me the right opportunity of like, okay, now this is it. That was me in research now, the next step. And let's see what I can actually make of this, of this hobby. And yeah, here I am. So one of the other things we're going to do in this podcast today is at the end of last year, you wrote a blog for us about the new bacteria discovered in 2021. Yes. So, you know, as you are someone so passionate and interested in bacteria, I'm just going to ask you briefly as a quick interlude, can you talk us through the first new bacterium or new bacterial species that you wrote about in the blog to kind of showcase your wisdom, understanding of these, of these wonderful bacteria? Of course. So let's just start. I did not know what to expect when I um, said, oh, let's let's do this article about new uh, bacteria. I just I didn't expect that there would be so many. So, you know, I started going through PubMed and at some point it was like, there's just so many. So I wrote a lot of them down and I think I stopped at 50 publications. And I think that that included like three or four months of publications. So out of these three or four months that I um, mined through, I um, chose, I think, four or five bacteria that I found pretty cool, that I found pretty interesting. So, yeah, there is no first bacterium. There's no best, no most important one, whatever. It's just, you know, a short list of what I found really interesting. So <laughs> let's just make this clear, yeah? <laughs> no worries. I'm sure you picked some good ones. Actually, the first species comes from a, is it a family or a genus of very interesting bacteria that I've been fascinated with. The myxococci. Yeah, so myxococci, they form like big cell um, aggregates that look like a big slimy something. And what they do is they basically, within this cell aggregate within the slime they they have their spores as well and they have the spores basically protected within the slime and when they find food or a predator a prey that they can eat um they basically the uh, researchers call it like a wolf pack attack so the whole aggregate just basically rolls over this microbe this foe and basically just killed it by um wave of bacterial slime almost kind of suffocating it but then they also secrete antibiotics other chemicals lethal toxins to just you know kill that prey and then eat on it like feed on it Mm. that's pretty cool what's the new one for 2021 at the end of last year then yes so the new one was that they found one species that is a i mean they they found a new genus as well, and they called this um, Citrococcus. Citri, I don't know how to pronounce it, Citrococcus. Um, and this one is yeah, belongs to the Mixococci family, and they actually think that they could use this as a biocontrol agent in agriculture because it um, has a lot of proteins that have antibacterial and antifungal activities. Under control, hopefully, in your agriculture, maybe. Very cool. And actually, if you go to the blog, which is on the Femmes Microblog and website, it's called Welcome to the New Bacteria Discovered in 2021. We've also embedded a video on there where you can see these wolf pack attacks by the, not this new one, but the same family of bacteria. So head there and you can see some interesting footage. Okay, cool. That's the first one done. Just going back then to your journey of the past few years, 
understood why you liked research. We understood, you know, why you decided to make the change. Talk me through the first few weeks and months. And when you decided to take the dive, you know, suddenly you're now financially reliant on this decision. You have to build it into a business that works for you. What was that like? Tell me how that went for you. One word, scary. Yes, pretty much. I feel I read and tried to learn as much about this step as possible, but then nobody can fully prepare you for it, to be honest. They say you have to have a lot of savings accumulated so you can survive the first month, uh, the first year. That is very true because obviously at the beginning, you know, you have to make clients, you have to or like find clients, get work, get paychecks, and then do all the administration as well, bureaucracy. So I registered the business in Germany and I don't know whether everybody knows, but bureaucracy in Germany is, it's not a mess. It's just very complex. You have to do a lot of things. There's a lot of steps involved, lots of documents, lawyers, no, no, no. It wasn't too much fun, but well, in the end, I got what I wanted. Other than that, yes, now you are, I am responsible for my own income, which is fun, but also very scary at some times because, yeah, as I said, sometimes you feel there's not enough work and you're like, okay, how am I going to get paid this month? On the other hand, some month there I'm like, I don't even know when I can sleep because there's just too much work coming in. So I think right now I still have to you know, find the right balance. I mean, I still see myself kind of at the beginning. Um, there's still a lot of stuff for me to learn about businesses, about freelancing in general. Then, as I said, like no freelancer is the same. Like you can read as many books as possible, but in the end, you just have to make your own decisions and see what works for you, what works best. Get inspiration, talk to others. But in the end, it's all about yourself and you make your own decisions. So that process of finding clients, building contacts, that's quite different to working in research. That must have been quite a new kind of outward-facing networking. Yes. Attitude. Did it feel natural? Did it feel very difficult? Was it something, was it one of the more challenging parts of the role? I'm sure sitting down and writing stuff and building content felt very like, that's your passion. But then these other parts of business management and development probably seem a little more unfamiliar. Yes, very much. So the whole marketing aspect, like I usually just put all of this together in marketing, is very difficult i don't like it myself i don't i mean i never like like you know having this um, job application interviews where you basically just showcase yourself this is what i am this is what i can do but obviously now in finding client this is exactly what you need to do you need to show them what your abilities are what your strengths are and why do you why are you the only one that can help your client researchers are generally not very good at this for I don't know which reason, they are very, or we are very humble. So that's something I really had to learn how to, yeah, sell myself basically. And yeah, I'm still struggling with this. I'm still not enjoying having these kind of discussions or sending out these kind of emails. But yeah, it's part of the process. I think in science, you're taught and trained to never overstate a fact, never overstate information. You're meant to pare back the significance of what you're trying to state. So that the evidence speaks for itself and you're just indicating what it looks like to you. You're not meant to be ramping up stuff and making it fabulous. Exactly. So it is a very, if you come from science, I'm sure that's quite a different way of doing, but very necessary if you need to build a business. So let's have a look at the next bacteria from 2021, new bacteria. So this is a cold resistant or cold adapted 
bacterium. So it's very nice to think about in the winter time. Could you give me a little bit of a rundown of why did you like this one? What piqued your interest here and what's special about this bacterium? Sure. Yeah, I actually presented two bacteria because they're both from the same area. They were both from the Antarctic, I think. Like, yeah, one from the Antarctic and one from a snow sample. So they're both cold-loving bacteria. And the interesting aspect of these is that in households, so for example, when you wash um, your laundry, when you do laundry, you always want to use as much or as little energy as possible. So you want to wash your clothes, for example, at lower temperatures. So that's why it's important that we have enzymes that work at lower temperatures. So if we understand how these kind of bacteria work and use the enzyme at low temperatures, we might be able to apply them in our household. Yeah, in our washing machine An optimum of 10 degrees yeah would mean we could have very cold washes <laughs> yeah water down to get to 10 degrees <laughs> exactly yeah but don't forget this is where the bacterium grows it grows optimal at 10 degrees the so enzymes that they have might still be optimal at like i don't know 15 or 20 degrees because they are often these kind of proteins are often only expressed or activated at a different temperature at different stresses so yeah, the bacteria might grow at 10 degrees optimally, but the protein, the enzyme could be could be a stress protein or yeah, a stress um, relieving protein that only gets activated at high temperatures. So, so high temperatures for bacterium, yeah. cold temperatures for our washing. So more like 20 to 25 degrees. Could be. As I said, that is speculation. I don't know. Um, they just said, I don't think they actually found a specific enzyme that they're interested in. It's just that they found a few uh, a few enzymes that work, but yeah, nobody characterized them. We don't know much about this yet. Very cool, though. Okay, now, Sarah, going back to your business journey, how long have you been running your business for now? Is it your second year? It's, yeah, it's a bit more than a year now, yes. Does it feel more ordinary and regular and comfortable, or are you still in the phase where you feel like you have to build everything and it's full of opportunities, but decisions, and you're still finding your feet? Yeah, I think right now I'm like, yeah, between these phases of like still at the beginning and actually, you know, like, I wouldn't say settling down, but, you know, getting getting used to how things work now, yes. Yeah, and you've partnered with other people doing similar kind of things. So I was wondering if you could talk to me a little bit about the STEM Cognito project yeah. that you're the founder of, yeah. Yeah, so the STEM Cognito um, initiative actually um, got born on Twitter at the end of 2020, yes, because so Marta, our um, CEO and main responsible, I'd say, um, she had this call on Twitter of like, okay, so yeah, let's just go back because she lives in Australia and during the pandemic, um, yes, everything went online and there were a lot of live webinars and live seminars and everything. But obviously because she was in Australia, she always had the issue with the time zones. So whatever happened in the US or in Europe was for her in the middle of the night. And she was like, yeah, I can't attend these, even though it's great that we have all these online seminars and webinars now and people are going online, but still for her, it's in the middle of the night and that kind of sucks. So she had this call on Twitter where I was like, can we just deposit all these videos, all these scientific videos online so that people from all around the world can actually watch it? And there were in the end, there were five people that replied to that call and we had a first meeting and we all um, had the same idea of like, yeah, let's just make video content, video scientific content available for everybody, independent on their location, independent on the time zone. And this is basically how STEM Cognito was born. 
And I then sat down and built this website where everybody can upload scientific videos and you can give them different um, complexity levels, like depending on whether you talk to other scientists or whether you talk to non-scientists or to kids, you can um, put them into different categories so that basically everybody who's interested in science can find some nice scientific content on that website. Nice. So if you're listening to this podcast and you want to find some easily accessible multi-layered scientific video content, head to STEM Cognito. I do appreciate that idea of the time zones because, yeah, now we all work online much more. It's very easy to connect to people all over the world. But then you're also very aware, yeah, I think much more aware of just how out of sync our days are. When you're working with the Americans, they're waking up as you're going to finish your day. So I've had meetings which are at 4 o'clock European time and 10 a.m. American time. And then the state of mind you're in at 4 p.m. in the afternoon and 10 a.m. is just completely different. But then if you're in Australia or New Zealand, you're out of sync with everyone's daytime almost. So yeah, I can see how that would be very frustrating if you're, again, a scientist, international community, but you're always out of sync with the most of the, the waking world. Fantastic project. Have you contributed individual videos or do you curate things you find? Yes, I made... I think two or three videos myself, obviously about bacteria, and uploaded them myself. Otherwise, I am responsible to write scripts for other people's videos. So that's because, as I said, I'm kind of a writer. So I write scripts and then someone else records these videos. But I'm also managing the whole website and make sure that the website doesn't break or up to date and everything's working on the website. Yeah, okay. So you're kind of the, the webmaster almost for the The website manager, yes. So as we love bacteria, let's segue into one of these new bacteria. So this is a bacteria that is symbiotic potentially with seaweed. Yeah. And the seaweed is called Agrophyton vermiculophyllum. And then this is a new cyanobacteria, right? Yes. Called Waterburia agrophytonicola. Talk us through this new bacterium. So this one I found particularly interesting because, as I said at the beginning, I just love how everything works together in nature, in the microbial world, in the, like, even, I mean, with people, everybody's, like, dependent on someone else. We all work better if we support each other and work together with others. And I find the same super cool in the microbial world. And yes, as you said, so there's this seaweed, agarophyton, and that is actually, it's not a really good species because it, it's invasive and it's right now it's growing a lot in the northern hemisphere. And this seaweed um, works together, lives together with the cyanobacterium butterburia. And butterburia, first of all, it looks pretty cool. It's like this dark blackish big cells and it reproduces with uh, multiple fission. So instead of you know, bacterium dividing in the middle, it's like the cell itself, it's growing. And within the cell, there's like different, or it's like dividing and dividing and dividing. And in the end, you have like these teeny tiny so-called biocytes. And at some point, the bacterium or the cell just explodes and all these little cells grow out of it. And this is how new bacteria are grown. So that I found pretty cool. And then because it's so dark... <laughs> Then they grow up in size until they reach a big size, and then they all internally divide. Exactly. So it's this process of growing into one big bacterium, then dividing inside into lots of little ones, bursting, and then they trans. So that's quite different to the, like the imagined binary fission you just you see in an E. coli, where it elongates, splits in half, and that continues. 
Yeah, so what's pretty cool about the symbiosis as well is that the researchers found an enzyme in the in the seaweed that breaks down and can use, for example, cobalamin. It's one of the essential vitamins for this seaweed, but it doesn't have any enzymes to build this vitamin. But then they found in the cyanobacterium that this bacterium has all the genes and the proteins to make cobalamin, the vitamin. So the idea is that the cyanobacterium makes this vitamin, gives it to the seaweed, and then the seaweed can use it. So there's a real codependency between these two species. I like these kind of interactions. One depends on the other. Yeah, it reminds us we are reliant on other people, other organisms all the time. It's a good message to take into 2022 that we need to help and love each other rather than compete all the time. So I just wanted to ask you, if someone out there is listening, they're a researcher, they've enjoyed research, but they don't think it's their life. They want to move into perhaps a more freelancing, business-oriented, psychoms or science-related role. Could you give them, I don't know, three pieces of advice that you would like to have been told or that you have learned in the last year and a half? Sure. First, I think you need to know what your skill is. Often it's a, it's kind of a hobby. So I know, for example, I know a lot of science artists. They are amazing at drawing, at illustrating, at um, breaking scientific topics down into really cool illustrations and comics. Or some people really like writing. As I said, I just love writing. I've always been rather a reader than a video watcher. So for me, writing was always like a really cool thing that I enjoyed. Other people like to talk. They love giving um, presentations. So for example, they could think about doing videos. Others like to dance, to knit. So one thing obviously is as soon as you know what your skill is, use that and build your business, your career around this hobby, because like this, you know, they say, um, do no, find a job that you love and you will never work again. If you do this, it's so true. Like you just love what you're doing. That's super important. So find that skill that's yours, that you love to develop. That's your USP and hone it as best as you can. That is the first piece. Okay. Second one, even though you found your skill, never stop learning. Just try to get or develop as much as possible in this skill, how to how you can apply the skill, but also in other skills. Obviously, you need to, as I said, you need to market yourself. Learn how to do that, even though you don't like it, or get someone to coach you on these kind of skills. Yeah, basically, never stop learning. But then that is also what's really important in science and in research. So I think if you already have this mindset from your academic life, you can easily apply this. Find mentors as well, if these are skills that aren't your natural skill set. Yeah, mentors, yes. Yeah, that's what I mean, coaches, yeah. And that kind of goes then with the last advice. I try to find a supportive network and someone or people that you can discuss your ideas with, but also that you can start collaborations with because... We know also from science, from academia, that no research project can just live by one person. You always need the skills and the expertise from others. And the same is true in science communication. As I said, I like writing. I love writing, but I cannot draw at all. So the blog Bacterial World lives from Noemi's beautiful illustrations. So we work together really closely on creating this blog piece. I'm writing, she's drawing, and then together, you know, we have a 
much nicer project than if I did it just on my own or the STEM community initiatives would not be possible with just one person. So yeah, try to find people in your network, Twitter is amazing for this, or in your research community that have similar goals as you and that have different but still like similar skills. And yeah, then just start talking and come up with cool ideas and projects and you never know what's going to happen. It's super interesting. Wonderful. And um, I guess, you know, one of the advantages now of being in control of your own business is do you feel like you have much more freedom and flexibility in your life compared to your research life? And I think that was mentioned in the past. That was one of the reasons you wanted to move into this. So have you found that to be life-changing in some ways? Absolutely. I mean, research or lab work quite often is already quite flexible with your time. I mean, you are the boss of how you organize your time, how you organize your experiments and stuff. So if I compare this life to, I don't know, an office nine to five job, it's already very flexible. But on the other hand, you're still dependent on experiments. You're still um, dependent on labs. You have to be in the lab to do experiments, you know, when stuff doesn't work or it just gets relayed, you know, instead of being out of the lab at six, you're out of the lab at nine and, you know, all your dinner plans are basically gone. So yeah, that is something I very much enjoy now because yeah, basically now I just work when I want, where I want, all I need is my laptop and Wi-Fi and I don't mind working in the evenings if I then can just be, you know, outside in the sun during the day. So yeah, that's a huge advantage for me. Sarah, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and talking about new bacteria and also your experience moving from research into science communication as a business owner. I think it's a really interesting example. And this is, you know, still the beginning of your journey, as it were. So I'd love to see how it develops in the next few years and maybe have you back on in two years or one year and see how it's gone. And yeah, if you're listening, I hope this experience has, you know, inspired or informed you as to, you know, it is possible you can do this. You can make your passion into something that is a that supports your livelihood as well as something that you enjoy doing. The blog we've spoken about today is, as I said, in the Fems Micro blog. So if you want to find out more about these bacteria, you can go there. There's tons of other blog pieces as well that Sarah's worked hard to curate with many authors. So there's so, so many exciting things to read about. And yeah, thank you for being our first guest on the first podcast of 2022. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I know it's been fantastic. Um, see you soon. And we look forward to many more interesting bacteria across the course of this year. <laughs>